0: beautiful souls here's a preview of today's discussion
1: but also use food as a meditation and really as mindful eating nourishing your body with these nutrient-dense yummy delicious foods that love you back and breath work is one that's huge for a lot of my patients is really using basic breath work uh, like box breathing Um, but breath work supporting gut health are two profound ways to Grow physically, but also meaning grow in wellness physically, but also mental, emotional, spiritual wellness too.
0: Beautiful soul, have you ever wanted to speak to angels? Do you believe angels can support you in your daily life? If this is you, go to my website homepage, theangelmedium.com, and sign up for my weekly angel message email. As a gift for signing up, I'm giving you access to free resources, including 31 healing meditations that, if you do daily, are going to help you hear your angels and your own intuition more clearly. Start using these today and you'll see changes in 31 days. Now, take a deep breath. Feel the presence of your angels as they fill you with love joy, peace, bliss, and ease. And remember, your angels say the messages that resonate with you in today's episode are meant just for you. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host and author, Julie Jancis. Friends, today we're here with Dr. Will Cole. He is the author of the new book, Gut Feelings. He has multiple other New York Times bestseller uh, books, but this book, Gut Feelings, Dr. Cole, is so incredible because you are bringing us back to love, compassion, for our own bodies. And I'm really excited to get to spend this time with you today.
1: Thank you so much for uh, giving me the chance to, to talk about something that's really important to me.
0: Yeah. So you talk about shame, shameflammation, two words that you put together, shame and inflammation. Talk to us a little bit about this and kind of where this idea started for you.
1: So it's born out of my day job, I run a telehealth center, we started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers 13 plus years ago at this point. So 10 hours a day, that's what I'm doing. And it's when you're dealing with people that have metabolic issues, hormonal problems, autoimmune problems, digestive problems to anxiety, depression, fatigue, you cannot ignore, it would be hard to ignore, The mind-body connection. So shame inflammation is just my made-up word to explain the research around the mind-body connection and the research specifically around shame and the things that cause shame, like unresolved trauma and chronic stress and shame around food and shame around our body and how that impacts our biochemistry. So if I'm trying to facilitate a protocol in a patient's life to lower inflammation or calm down a dysregulated nervous system or to balance hormones or work, improve their digestion we can work on the physiological side when we talk about you know implementing a food protocol or a natural like supplementation protocol or biohacks or the running labs and looking at the data we will invariably get stuck at plateaus if people have not dealt with the mental, emotional, even spiritual component to it. So it, we have every, it's a major part of our clinic and major part of protocols we integrate is not just the physiological, but the psychological, the mental, emotional, spiritual, and really informing people and educating people the fact that they're one and the same. Mental health is physical health. It's, you really can't separate the two. And we get stuck with... um unsustainable results or stuck at plateaus when we we when we have an either or approach it should be both and when when you're talking about someone's health
0: yeah so what role does shame play on the body
1: so shame I mean Brene Brown says it very directly in and I quote her in the book is that shame is lethal shame is connected to many different health issues because it's a it's something that's going to contribute to the dysregulation of something called the neuro-immuno-endocrine axis, which is the intersection between the nervous system, the immune system, and the endocrine system. And by immune system, I'm mainly talking about chronic inflammation, which is a product of the immune system and the endocrine system hormones. So, the neuro-immuno-endocrine axis, the connection, the intersection between those three systems of the body, are going to be fundamentally disrupted and dysregulated by shame and all the surrounding emotions and issues around shame not just shame itself but the heaviness that it brings so uh, one of the things that we look at with initial telehealth patients are something called uh, someone's ACE score or ACE it's their adverse childhood events or experiences so we're talking about things in an initial telehealth consult with really heavy things like childhood trauma or Was there physical abuse, emotional abuse growing up, verbal abuse growing up? Was there neglect growing up? The higher the ACE score research shows, you're more likely to have an autoimmune issue or a metabolic issue or trouble, you know, hormonal problems or uh, obviously anxiety and depression. So it doesn't mean it's the only component. It's one side of that gut and feelings, the physiological and psychological bi-directional relationship. But we need to look at it for many people. It's a component to why they feel the way that they do. And it's actually informing their, their choices with foods and, and so many things. So um, yeah, it, it's what it's doing is it's it's influencing our biochemistry. It's mm-hmm. It's something that happened in the past, maybe, but it's living as if it's happening here and now. And, you know, our body, another, it's said another way. Our body is a cellular library and our thoughts, our words, whether it's to ourselves or to others, our experiences, our emotions are the books that fill up that library. So it is literally stored in the body and it's impacting inflammation levels or hormones in our nervous system.
0: Yeah. Um, And I think one example of that that you give in the book is intergenerational trauma, which you said can also be passed down through the gut. And you kind of give some hope. You say, like, if this can be passed down, this can be healed. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, the research around intergenerational trauma or transgenerational trauma is one of my favorite parts in gut feelings because it is so powerful the research is so powerful the the choices we make in our life is not just for us it, it's for Generations it's for our directly people around us not even if you, if you have no kids even just your friends and family you are influencing your community uh and you're obviously if you have if you choose to have kids you're influencing their health not just in a nurture level but uh also on a nature level like, uh, actual genetic level and as I say in the book as trauma can be inherited so can healing you can break the chains of ancestral dysfunction disease dysregulation for yourself but for generations you'll never get to see and that's the um legacy that i see my patients get to leave for their their line and for their families it's powerful to see so research shows that the studies are done mainly on more uh extreme geopolitical things that have happened in human history, like the Holodomor, which is the Ukrainian man-made genocide in the early 20th century. Joseph Stalin basically starved and killed millions of Ukrainian people um, when they wanted to have independence. I mean, history is repeating itself right now. And the uh, researchers, and I'll I'll start with that, Holodomor, the Ukrainian uh, genocide, the the Holocausts in Poland and Germany, and Rwanda, the the Hutu and the Tutsi uh, genocide in the '90s. All research has showed that obviously the people that went through this horrific atrocities had changes in something called methylation, the way that their body expressed inflammation levels, neurotransmitters, hormone synthesis. It's a big interconnected myriad of pathways known as methylation. And they saw these distinct changes in the person that went through the traumatic event, but also their children and their grandchildren, like generations on this same distinct changes because of the trauma that their ancestors went through. So like to the person that's hearing this sometimes when I'm talking to telehealth patients about this, they think, oh man, I'm screwed. Like I know my family, like as if like it wasn't bad enough to have to deal with my own crap, Now I have to deal with my great-grandma's crap? Like, what what the heck? (laughs) How can I ever overcome this? But I'm saying this to tell you, you don't necessarily have to know what's my trauma and what's great-grandma's trauma. Mm -hmm. But what, if anything, I hope this gives you, the listener out there, some grace and lightness to know sometimes the odds are stacked against us and some people have heavier experiences and others. But I see people overcoming the heaviest of things. And you can overcome these things. And 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 just know that it's not sometimes people feel like I'm broken, or I, I'm just a weak person or what's wrong with me. It's not necessarily always just you. It's, it's things that you've come into the world, that you are living out the experiences of our ancestors that but we all have the chance to overcome and heal. Yeah. And that's really the message of the book.
0: Mm hmm. So I get this on a very, very deep level because uh, I can see the threads of intergenerational trauma and how that has played out with our physical bodies between my grandmother, my mother and myself. And I sometimes it feels like being on the hamster wheel of like, okay, I'm always just trying to figure it out and it's not working and I'm trying to figure it out. And your book was just such a breath of fresh air because it's like, Stop stressing about it, you know, and and I've got a lot of these self-limiting beliefs where I'm so good in other areas of my life, but when it comes to my physical body, I'll think to myself, well, my my grandma couldn't get it under control. And my mom couldn't get it under, under control, so I'm not going to. And I'm going to inherit this diabetes or like I've tried so many times and I failed. And so I feel on a very profound level what you're talking about when it comes to this shame. Because it's such a, I think about everything in terms of energy and this for me is like a beast, this huge monster and nothing else in my life is really that big of a force, but it's very, very um, challenging. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'm just wondering, where do you start? And like, are you going to be on this hamster wheel for forever? What are like the three places that listeners can start or I could start to really heal for good? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that with me. I know. And that's just you sharing that. I mean, I'm sure you talk about in the podcast all the time, but I'll just as someone who talks to people 10 hours a day knowing like hearing other people's story that alone metabolizes stored trauma like you knowing you're not alone and there's someone out there going through similar things because you're not alone I mean you're you you, what you're going through is very very common sadly but we can overcome it and many people are left to fend for themselves and they there's a lot of shame around these stories Uh, uh and they feel like you know this imposter syndrome like I I I am doing well in so many other areas. Why am I keep failing in this area? That's human. We all have those. So I think just infusing a grace and lightness, I think, into these shame-based stories that we tell ourselves to know that, you know, we all are going through different things. And especially with our, you know, social media culture where we have these, like, we see everybody's filtered highlight reels, and it's not like the nitty-gritty, dirty stuff that, that really all of us have. So look... We're talking about three things. Well, one number one, well, let's just say this. You you're in somebody's into healing, or like let's just say the next level of their healing. Because normally I'm not meeting somebody at square one. Like they've already done some self-work or worked with other doctors or therapists, or you know, uh, but they're kind of stuck in a plateau. They're on that hamster wheel to some degree, and they're looking how to just really overcome this so they can move on with their life and not get kept back from these things. that so they're keeping them back, whether it, physical or mental emotional and spiritual. So I one of the reasons why I called the book gut feelings is to look at both sides of that, gut and feelings. Like how do we deal with the physical and the mental, emotional, spiritual, but also that concept of gut feelings or gut instincts, or I feel it in my gut, or butterflies in my stomach. Somehow our ancestors knew that the majority of our 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 intuition somehow, the seed of the soul somehow was in the gut or around the gut or was connected to the gut. So You know the gut and brain are actually formed from the same fetal tissue so when babies are growing in their mother's womb they are grown from that same tissue and they're linked inextricably for the rest of our life through what's known as the gut brain axis or the connection between the gut and the brain researchers refer to the gut as a second brain if you think about it the intestines kind of even resemble the brain when we're talking about the large intestines the small intestines and the stomach And um, about 75% of the immune system's in the gut. Inflammation is a product of the immune system. 95% of serotonin, our happy neurotransmitter, is made in the gut. 50% of dopamine, our pleasure neurotransmitter, is made in the gut. They work upon, the neurotransmitters that are made and stored in the gut, work upon what's called the vagus nerve, which is the largest cranial nerve in the body, which is responsible in part for our resting, digesting, hormone-balanced, grounded aspect of the autonomic nervous system, the parasympathetic. So many people that are dealing with these hamster wheel situations, which for some people, it could be metabolic issues, type 2 diabetes or weight loss resistance or insatiable cravings like some blood sugar problems. For other people, it could be autoimmune issues. For other people, it could be digestive problems. For other people, it could be anxiety or depression or fatigue these are all hamster wheel problems for people. That is just the human story right now. Because when you look at the statistics, it's the vast majority of people are dealing with these chronic health problems that are somewhere on this inflammation spectrum. They all have inflammation as a commonality. Even the brain health stuff that I talk about in the book, there's something called cytokine model of cognitive function. It's researchers looking And these are conventional medical journals, looking at how does inflammation impact how my brain works? How does inflammation impact mental health? So the gut plays a major role in all of these things.
0: Wow, thank you so much to the 250 people who raised their hand to volunteer and start a local chapter of spiritual women in their part of the world. If you'd like to join one of these free local chapters and hang out with spiritual women in your area, go over to my website, theangelmedium.com and enter your email address at the top of the homepage. Soon, we'll be sending you an email with a list of local chapters you can join for free. And friends, I'd love your help getting the word out about this. If you're a podcaster who'd be willing to have me on your show to talk about this community project or an influencer who'd be willing to go live with me on social media, maybe you own your own business and your clients would love this. We can send you info that you can email to them. Or if you have another idea of how we could get the word out, we'd love your help connecting as many women around the world as possible through local chapters of spiritual women that we're forming right now. In the show notes, there's a link to a form you can fill out to help us get the word out. You can also use this form to become a local chapter leader. Oh, friends, I feel the magic. I hope you feel the magic, too. The angels are putting together this incredible worldwide network of soul sisters, and I am just so excited to see how they work through us to help bring us together in friendship and serve the world.
1: So if you're looking for, okay, what's the for, say, three things or what's the biggest needle moving things? Like if I do nothing else, like what's the most bang for my buck? If I but this seems overwhelming, like what's going to help me the most? Uh, And I would say starting with supporting gut health is very influential. It's there's a lot of paths to that. But at least that being an intention and a goal and finding tools to do that is hugely profound, profound, because you're going to start to untangle a lot of things from its root, from its roots. So things that are kept like, for example, insatiable cravings or blood sugar dysregulation, if we can get the gut healthier, that's going to create more metabolic resilience and metabolic flexibility. So you are in a more proactive and less of a reactive state when it comes to foods we crave, or our mood, or energy levels, or digestion. Um, so I talk about something in the book called a GAPS protocol, which is an acronym that stands for Gut and Psychology Syndrome, or Gut and Physiology Syndrome, which focuses in part in lots of soup, on lots of soups and stews. So very easy, economical, accessible ways to Use food as, as a medicine, but also use food as a meditation and really as mindful eating, nourishing your body with these nutrient dense, yummy, delicious foods that love you back. And there's the feeling side, there's so many ins there, but I talk a lot about them in the book. But breath work is one that's huge for a lot of my patients, is really using basic breath work, uh, like box breathing. Uh, to more advanced protocols, we implement into telehealth patient protocols like holotropic breath work, which is similar to psychedelics, actually. And it's really um, an, an amazing feelings tool on um, gut feelings to metabolize stored trauma. So, those are two. I mean, but there's so many. There's a whole protocol in the book that I lean people into. Um, but breath work, supporting gut health, are two profound ways to grow physically, but also meaning grow in wellness physically, but also mental, emotional, spiritual wellness too.
0: That's so profound. I I read that in your book when you said, don't just, you know, use food. uh, Where did I have it here? As fuel, you know, use it as meditation. And I was like, who is this guy? This guy is amazing. How do we take the journey of food and the journey of health and make it a spiritual practice or a spiritual journey.
1: I think first of all, educating yourself. I think the person that's that's asking that, I would say empowering yourself with information because so many people are disconnected from between what you eat and how you feel. Like they just do something because that's what they've always done, or that's the way their family ate, or it's the convenient thing. Uh, and they're not really stopping and mindfully checking, does this food love me back? And that's really the conversation that i'm having in the book i mean you know cuz you read it but the it's not about a list it's not about a moral failure right it's not about a list of good foods and bad foods it's does this food love me back or does this food not love me back and it's really a conversation around healthy boundaries it's a conversation about wanting and self-respect and wanting to feel good and that's what this is about is not a moral punitive judgment on like i'm a bad person if i have this food that doesn't love me back no it's not it's i want you to use meals as a medicine and meditation because every food we eat either feeds inflammation or fights it meaning it's going to make you feel good or might not make you feel so good and there's a lot of bio individuality with this mm-hmm. is that what works for one person may not be the best for and i could think of the healthiest real foods whole foods that may work really well for me, but I can think of a patient where that doesn't work so well. Like every example you can think of mm-hmm. where it's like, I try not to make too many broad sweeping over generalized statements when it comes to food, because there's a lot of science and art to these topics, because some people can really have a lot of inner resistance and obsession about foods uh, in a way where it's like, even if the food theoretically would work for somebody that stress and anxiety would produce a completely different result around it. So we have to look at not, as, and this is how I say it in the book, you can't just look at what you're feeding your body, but what are we feeding our head and our heart? Like what's the headspace and heart space in which you eat the meal? So um, I would educate yourself basically on the foods that are most likely not to love most humans back, what I call the inflammatory core four, that's gonna be looking at added sugar, looking at, looking at refined grains, Looking at overconsumption of something called industrial seed oils, like canola oil, vegetable oil, soybean oil. And you know, there's nuanced conversations to this because them by themselves, those oils by themselves aren't necessarily the worst thing in the world, but it's the overconsumption of them. Yeah. Uh, and then conventional dairy, again, there's better versions to everything I've just said, but for sake of simplicity. Uh, Looking at those core four that are most likely to disrupt that second brain to mess up your gut, which is such a major regulator of our mood, our inflammation levels and our hormones. But also, if I could add a plus one. Yeah, it would be alcohol (laughs) looking at our relationship with alcohol, which, you know, I talk about in the book uh, and the impact that that has on disrupting that gut feeling connection. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I would say look at the foods and then looking at educating yourself on the foods that are most likely not to love me back and then from there eat mindfully and i'm not making any huge drastic changes on like you can't eat these throughout the book so i'm just growing i want person the reader to grow in awareness on how these foods make me feel so they can make that decision for themselves right And if it, if it loves them back or not
0: okay so i feel everything with energy too and um like when you go eat certain foods that were alive, berries, uh, salad with a lot of vegetables in it, it feels like there's a buzz or a hum in your body where, and so I want you to kind of break down for people because I think that there's a ton of people out there who don't know what it means for foods to make you feel good versus feeling bad because perhaps a lot of people i know this was me for a very very long time i i was like what do you mean foods making you feel good like i just feel like crap all the time um so so how can foods make you feel better what does that look like
1: well every meal is another and every snack is an opportunity another opportunity to move the needle one way or the other. And that may seem like a lot, and some are negligible. Some are not, not going to notice it right there, right then, but it's going to be a cumulative thing. And some in big, significant ways. So I think being realizing that our mood or our energy levels or our digestion or our sleep or our metabolism, all of those things are literally built by the foods we eat. And what we're feeding our head and our heart and our thoughts, words, and emotions, the things we're taking in, whether on a meal level or what I call in the book, these metaphysical meals, right? Our thoughts, words, emotions, experiences, those are metaphysical meals that are also influenced on your biochemistry just as much as that actual meal. So um, it's, it's the raw materials, the food. If you're talking about food specifically, it's providing the raw materials your body needs to make neurotransmitters to make hormones to make the digestion your digestion work to make the literal cells of your body so the saying you are what you eat is very much steeped in science that uh we would not our body is alive because of brilliant biochemistry and the foods we eat influence that biochemistry so it is that profound that's the that's the agency we wield with every meal And I think it's finding the foods and learning and being curious enough to learn about the foods that love you back. And again, avoiding foods that don't love you back isn't restrictive. It's not toxic diet culture. It is self-respect. And I think having that paradigm shift of saying, whoa, this is, I want to feel great more than I thought I wanted something that's going to dim my light. I want to feel great more than I want something that's going to make me feel like crap. You know, and I, that's the paradigm shift of what I call in the book food piece. It's having this sort of inner deep discernment and knowingness of what your center is and creating that center actually for yourself. Because when you calm inflammation levels and you have better regulation between the gut and the brain, you have a more regulated neuro axis that I mentioned. That sympathetic fight or flight stress state is calmed down. That parasympathetic, the vagal tone is increased you're more regulated and grounded, you've created a physiological, but also a mental, emotional, spiritual center for yourself. So at that point, you're not, uh, there's not much that's going to shake you, because you kind of know what works for you and what doesn't. And you're still human, you're not perfect. But you have a resilience to you and a light to you, that people's noise on social media, or whatever, I mean, life stressors, don't shake you like it used to
0: and it was so funny while reading your book i kept getting this very very profound image of that your food and meals and just even drinking water throughout the day is a complete opportunity for you to deepen your spiritual practice by just being present maybe even praying over it before we eat Mm -hmm. having that meditative peace-filled state. You also talk about uh, achieving joy through nutrition. This is amazing. You have to share this with everybody.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is. It's a stress-free food plan in the book for people to really find joy in, in foods. Like when you, maybe it's the uh, cooking of the meals or enjoying the meals. When you're eating foods that love you back, it is a joyous occasion. It is fun. Um, it is creative uh, and it's 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 it could be a hobby <laughs> it could be a hobby in many ways to eat foods that love you back because it is a relationship where you're, you're healing your relationship with your body you're healing your relationship with food and you're also healing your actual body too so it's actually a positive experience all around it doesn't mean it's easy always it doesn't mean it's linear healing is certainly non-linear for most of my patients but it's one that they have their eye on the why. Like their why is bigger than their excuses. Their why is bigger than the uncertainty or fear of doing something new. So yeah, it's it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner can be a party, for sure, <laughs> uh, even with yourself of just learning what foods make you feel good. And when you have energy and you're sleeping well and you really are comfortable in your body, it is a joyful time it is it is a, a good time overall so it's an and across all boards I talk about the FOMO culture in the book right this fear of missing out which many people are eating distracted scrolling this sort of endless FOMO inducing content on social media where I talk about this antithesis of FOMO culture JOMO is joy of missing out in cultivating JOMO with food or with stillness and other forms of self-care of getting out in nature, of basically disconnecting to connect, which there's so many art forms and way paths to to do that.
0: One of the things that's hard, I know it's a trigger for me and a lot of moms that I talk with uh, just locally in my neighborhood is, you know, we all have small kids, right? And that they've got foods around and it's hard to only have healthy foods in the house to do all of that prep work. Is there an easier way? Is there a magic pill, Dr. Cole, where we can have <laughs> <laughs> easy foods that we just go get and and don't have to do as much preparation for? Or do you really feel like we just have to make this a bigger hobby in our life that we're spending more time on the preparation of food
1: great question i have two kids myself i have a 16 year old and a 13 14 year old she just turned 14 last week so uh yeah i'm used to that dynamic right and they're homeschooled too so they're home more than most kids um which in some ways i get it probably could be easier but yeah they're still at their friend's house they still have a lot of co-op like dance and acting and theater and sports and music they're they're with other kids they're not isolated the uh um i get it i hear you and i see patients for a living and i have kids in traditional school and i see the you know the the considerations the being creative with this life that we live right these different lives that we live uh and modernity so i would say first of all we as parents I think that we should not add shameflammation to this topic, right? There, yeah. There's we're all on a different path. We all have different access to different things. We all have different schedules. And we all have different kids with different needs. So I think, first of all, just going back to that grace and lightness to this whole topic. Mm-hmm. And we all could have done better. Like even this is what I do for a living. And I can tell you. That I could say, oh, my gosh, man, if I would have done this, this and this 10 years ago, it would have been so much easier. So if the guy who does this for a living, who writes books about it and consults people about this stuff could do it differently, just get, be easy on yourself because it's just a human thing. We're busy living, you know, that cliche of the days are long, but the years are short. That is true on yeah. a deep level because I'm like, how the heck is my baby boy, 16 freaking years old, driving a car? It's unreal. So it's like we are just doing the best we can, and the days are busy, and it's like wow, the days turn into weeks, and weeks turn into months, and into the years, and time passes by so quickly. So with that said, I think that we need to set the culture in our home and do the best we can because we are. I hear people, new patients will tell me like, well, my kids will like they'll freak out or like they they won't eat that stuff. But the reality is unless they're driving and going picking things up themselves or i guess they could get uber eats on their phone if you give them access to this stuff but that's a whole different topic of healthy boundaries with that i would say we need to set the culture in the to- in the home and yes if you if this is a new change there may you may be worried about a coup d'etat you where they're going to overthrow parents and <laughs> take over if you bring berries in the house or whatever some fruits and vegetables but I think getting them on board, by letting them buy into a certain degree, but they may not buy in to entirety, but you're the parent. And I think setting the tone in the home. And you know, we as parents know our kids will do lots of things that we know aren't good for them. And I think that us just putting a line in the sand and saying, no, we're gonna shift the culture in our home. Obviously, the earlier the better, but it's this, it's never too late. Like start whenever you're hearing this conversation. And uh we I would that's what I would start with. And then most of our pa- patients decide, especially the kids as the kids get older, they're not going to micromanage the friend's house or like the, the school oh, event. Yeah. They're just do, setting the culture for home because what that will do is plant seeds for the kids to grow in awareness and mindfulness to how foods make them feel. So when they are at the friend's house, they will want less of that stuff, but they can still live that life. They yeah. can still live their life, but they will love feeling great more than they thought they wanted something. I see this in my son all the time, where he will has a lot more of body awareness when it comes to how foods make him feel. So he will have things that I wouldn't have at the house over at his friend's house, but he will either choose not to have it because he doesn't like how it makes him feel. And it was experimentation to know that, or... He will say, I'll have less of it. I won't have as much uh, because I know how it makes me feel. But we want our kids to start growing in agency and awareness of knowing how things make them feel and make decisions for themselves. So I think that's that's would be my suggestion. But as far as the practical stuff, like with like, okay, time in the kitchen or like there are we live in such a time where there is a lot of convenience foods. that are better for you or healthy options. So I I it they typically cost more, but if that's if the convenience is more important for for somebody, which it is for me sometimes, uh I would say really lean into brands that are doing innovative things. that are boxed, they are packaged, but the ingredients are cleaner, they're better. They will love your kids better. So uh Thrive Market's a great one. Uh even like going to I mean, look, I live in Western Pennsylvania. It's by no means like the mecca of, of wellness, but I could go to Aldi and Costco and Walmart and Target and get organic like freezer meals and things that are better for you options. They're not the healthiest things under the sun, but they are way better. So look at those core four ingredients, like looking at at, at refined carbohydrates and gluten, looking at added sugar, looking at industrial seed oils, looking at conventional dairy. If, people, if kids had less of that, you'd have a lot better, healthy kids, uh, a lot better behavior too, as far as behavioral problems that are fed by these problems, these foods. Um, so those are some suggestions, but I do like the way you said it, where it's like, all right, maybe we need to spend more time as a culture in the kitchen and spend more of our resources on foods. So I do feel like we have lost like people would have done more of that throughout human history and now we want the convenience over the time but use it as a bonding experience get kids involved with the with the food like if you have access to a garden get them involved with that if you're in an urban setting go to urban garden go to a farmer's market if you don't want to garden Like get them in the in the cooking process I do feel like you can make it fun and make it an activity as a family
0: yeah in the book, you talk a lot about self-compassion and the link between self-compassion and inflammation within the body. And I'm wondering, as you've worked, because you you work with so many people, uh, you're Gwyneth Paltrow's functional medicine practitioner. There, there are a lot of people out there who have these triggers. Uh, as a woman who grew up with the magazines in the '90s, you know it's easy to kind of go back and forth on your journey to become healthy. Of all right, you're getting triggered because you see something and you want your body to look a certain way, but then you're like, "Nope, I'm going to stay step back from that and take on that self-compassion." Can you talk to that a little bit? And how do you? keep going deeper and deeper into self-compassion and not reverting back to those triggers
1: it's 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 going to be non-linear we're talking about neural pathways that are deep for some people um so it's a practice like anything else it's really like going to the gym once and saying well the gym didn't work for me right it's like (laughs) oh my gosh like what's wrong with this gym thing it's showing up and flexing that mindfulness muscle which is going to take time to tone and get strength strengthened and build new neural pathways. Our body is plastic. Neuroplasticity is really the research of how the brain can be melded and molded over time. And we can actually strengthen these weak parts of our nervous system, the vagus nerve being part of it, which is that more grounded, hormone-balanced, resting, digesting aspect. So it's not the sexy answer, but it's the real answer. It's just consistency. It's showing up when you don't feel like it. It's, It's being consistent when you don't feel like it. Because um, I see pe- patients put in the time, and it pays off. And then it becomes less of a thing; it becomes less of an arduous task. Whenever you, it becomes a rhythm, and there's more of a second nature to it. There's an effortlessness to it. Doesn't mean it's always easy, but it it becomes easier the more consistent you are, because it's not this sort of oh wow, I'm really weak in this area. This becomes this comes very unnaturally to me, does not come naturally to me. The more you flex that mindfulness muscle, what I mean by that is self-compassion practices, which as you mentioned in the book, the research shows lowers inflammation levels. The people that had the highest self-compassion scores had the lowest inflammation levels. So things like breath work, somatic practices, EMDR for people who need that. I talk about forest bathing, getting out in nature. These practices that are most are free or low cost. Accessible tools to strengthen the vagus nerve from the feeling side of gut feelings. Uh, it, it's just being consistent. Find a few tools within your toolbox that you that resonate with you that you can can stay consistent with, and stay consistent with it. But I mean, many of my patients. This, I mean, you're d- talking about people that are dealing with more complex autoimmune issues, metabolic hormonal problems, anxiety, depression. Some of them put in an hour a day on this self work which seems like overwhelming to some people, but not everybody has to do an hour a day. A That's A. And B, even if you do have to do an hour a day, the things many of us, most of us do, and the amount of time we spend on our phone or the time that we're watching Netflix, it's like this is an hour of a day to change not only your health, but your family's health as well.
0: Yeah. And that hour a day that they're spending, it's practices that are leading them to more self-compassion, like that mental emotional piece.
1: Yes. It's different tools to strengthen the vagus nerves: and breath work, somatic practices, meditation, these type of things.
0: Wonderful. How do people know when they're healed?
1: (laughs) That's a good question. That's a wonderful question. How do people know if they're healed? Well, look, I can give you the fluffy answer and then i give you the sublime answer so i think that the i want people to live the life that they want to live right i want them to have the energy to do the things that they want to do i want them to have to feel grounded and rooted in their body and there's just a deep knowingness this the bible calls it the peace that passes all understanding that's like what this looks like for people that have achieved it but we're all humans, and there's never a time, well, if you've met this person that's achieved this, let me know, What if they've become this sort of demigod, demigoddess, where they're just like levitating and they've ha- hit some sort of nirvana here on Earth. Maybe that'll happen someday when there's a critical mass of something. But I think for now, it's a, a flux. It's an ebb and flow. There are things to work on. But they, so they, it's not that they've arrived yeah, but they've created that center that they can pivot from and live their life. And that doesn't mean they don't have bad days or down days or things to work on or things that come up yeah. in their health. They do. But there's this sort of because they created this center, they know how to get back there and they have the tools within the toolbox to get back there. So it's this constant dynamic flux is really what it is. It's not the static thing of I have achieved this thing and now I don't have anything to work on with my health anymore. It doesn't happen. So I think uh, and then if you want to get a little bit more granular on like data, data stuff, look at labs like uh, we look at optimal, not average in functional medicine. So, okay, if you want to look at data, we can look at data and say if your blood sugar is here and you don't want it to be here, let's get it there. And we can look at comprehensive data to say this is where vibrant wellness resides. But even if I get the person all in the vibrant wellness zone, which we do, they're still humans and they still can vacillate. And that's OK. So that, that's kind of my thoughts on that that question.
0: Yeah, I, I've been asking a lot of different types of healers that question over the last year. And I think it's really fascinating because I think it actually speaks more to people's perspectives at the beginning. That There's so many people out there who are like, okay, well, I just want to go through the process of, you know, energy healing or, you know, becoming a medium or working with functional medicine and just be healed. But that's not like there is no ending the ending isn't the goal it's the journey that's yeah. the goal
1: yeah you're right it's that's exactly it um because I see people in their 90s and they've like they've been working on this for deck for decades and they're still they feel great they're just doing it to optimize they're just living this they're wanting to stay on top of this human experience until the day they're not here anymore
0: yeah amazing Dr. Cole, your book I think is ahead of its time. Uh, gut feelings. I think this is so needed by people on Earth, and I think that the words of wisdom that you have in there are just going to be so healing to to so many individuals. So thank you for putting this book out into the world. Where people, where can people find you um, and your work?
1: Thank you so much. Um, everything's at drwillcole.com. That's D R dot ecom if I know how to spell my name. Yeah, it, it uh, but we have two new telehealth patient options are now open. We have the links to, to my podcast, The Art of Being Well, is there. And lots of free resources. I have thousands and thousands of resources for people I've written over the years for people who just want to get start leading their health in the positive direction.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for being here.
1: Thanks for having me